to introduce to you Hilary Nichols, our speaker for this seminar on God's design for our image. So a big welcome to Hilary. So I'll pray now and then we'll hand straight over to Hilary so uh, we don't run too late. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much that we can all meet together today to learn more about you and your design for us. Please help Hilary as she speaks to us now and give us hearts and minds that are willing and keen to learn from your word and obey you. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Amen. Hilary. Good morning, ladies. It's a privilege to be here with you all today. Uh, to see so many of you, so many different stages of life, uh, and all here together with one purpose, to learn about Jesus and to grow in our relationship with him. Um, now, it's quite a big seminar, as you can see. I don't know why this is really called a seminar, because it's, some of you may have been to very interactive seminars, and obviously in this kind of group it's hard to take kind of feedback and do lots of discussion, but uh, there will be some chances for you to think about some questions and to chat to people that you've come with. And you'll be relieved to know that we're not going to get our wisdom for today from this cartoon, as much as I think this cartoon is very funny. Um, we will be getting our wisdom from somewhere better than that. Um, we're going to be uh, looking at some of the truths from God's Word and looking at, in particular, the mirror that we're forced to look in by our society and the mirror of God's Word and uh, to work out what truths from, the, from His Word we can learn to apply to this subject. Can everybody hear me all right at the back? No. <laughs> I'm glad I checked. Is that better? Ooh, that's quite loud. Is that better? <laughs> Shame. I'll just go home. <laughs> I'll go back to England. It's fine. Um, I'll keep going. Raise your hand if you really can't hear anything. Um, I wonder how you felt as you looked in the mirror this morning. Um, perhaps you were despairing at your wrinkles. Perhaps you were having a bad hair day. Perhaps you were wishing that you hadn't eaten all that chocolate cake last week. Uh, perhaps you were distraught to discover a new spot on your chin just when you didn't want it. Or perhaps you were wondering what on earth to wear to a Christian conference. Um, at least you weren't, didn't have the problem that I had. You know, what am I going to do wearing, what am I going to wear to present a seminar on image as a Christian? and as a style consultant in Fashionable Ireland. Um, and then I wonder how you felt as you arrived today. Perhaps you felt worse as you sat next to someone who had beautiful nails, or behind someone with a fabulous new haircut. Um, and, or perhaps you were proud and relieved that there was nobody, uh, there were other people there dressed perhaps worse than you. <laughs> um, so, we are obviously bombarded by lots and lots of messages from the society that we live in about what clothes we should be wearing, about the hairstyles we should have, about the skin products that we need to, we need to use to stay youthful. And the message that our society gives us is that by getting all these things sorted, we will find true happiness, true success, and true security. You might be shocked to find out that recent research has shown that physical beauty adds about 5% to lifetime earnings. Many male employers admit to putting 
physical attractiveness, on average third on their list of criteria for appointing a female candidate. Um, and in America, uh, CBS News reported recently that an online dating service for good-looking people has launched a sperm bank intended to produce beautiful babies. The report states that the Fertility Introduction Service aims to link potential parents, handsome or homely, with good-looking sperm and egg donors. And the goal is to create a child whose good looks will stop the traffic. The founder of the service said, Initially, we hesitated to widen the offering to non-beautiful people, but everyone, including ugly people, would like to bring good-looking children into the world, and we can't be selfish with our attractive gene pool. So, in order to be beautiful in our society, we must have absolutely no defects, we must be wrinkle-free, we must maintain a perfect figure, and possess a cover girl face. If we have an unwanted scar, or perhaps an undesired birthmark, if we have a skin disease, varicose veins, stretch marks from having babies, if our nose is too big, or our hair is too thin, or our ears are too pointed, these features and many more are considered defects, as defined by our society. So obviously I'm disqualified, and um, maybe the rest of you will measure up, but um, it's, a, it's a standard that we all fail to meet. Now out of interest, how many people here had a Barbie when they were young, or who have children, or relatives who have Barbies? <laughs> That's pretty much everyone. Um, a Barbie represents the image of female beauty from toddlerdom. But if we were to translate Barbie into human terms, she would look like this. <laughs> um, and uh, researchers generating a computer model of a woman with Barbie doll proportions actually found that her back would be too weak to support the weight of her upper body. Her body would be too narrow to contain more than half a liver and a few centimeters of bowel. So a real woman built that way would suffer from chronic diarrhea and eventually die from malnutrition. But that just shows, doesn't it, what a mess and deception our society feeds us. Crazy ideals that are actually physically impossible. And uh, our culture also idolizes youthfulness. We're bombarded with the message that to be beautiful, you must be young. So we consequently have a huge fear of aging. So here's a computer-aged Barbie. And um, just uh, humor me for a moment. I wonder if you can imagine the success of these Barbie products. Hot flush Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> Press Barbie's tummy button and watch her face turn beetroot red while tiny drops of sweat appear on her forehead. <laughs> Comes with handheld fan and packets of tissues. <laughs> or facial hair Barbie, complete with tweezers. Muffin top Barbie. Comes with magic knickers. Or Bunyan Barbie, soothe her sores with the pumice stone and plasters, then slip on her soft pink toweling slippers. But um, perhaps like me, the older ones amongst us feel overwhelmed by some of the fashion rules that we're presented with. And I heard these ones recently on Radio 4 Women's Hour. Once you hit 40, never wear anything above the knee. <laughs> Make sure you always cover up any turkey necks, armadillo elbows, or dinosaur knees, and never expose your upper arms or those dreaded bingo wings. 
And don't wear things that look extremely comfy, especially Velcro fastenings on shoes. <laughs> so, we now fear getting older and it's starting younger and younger. L'Oreal, Clarins and Ms. Earl all tell us that we have nothing to fear. Just use the latest anti-wrinkle treatment, or if that fails, have plastic surgery. And in the UK, the anti-aging industry is thought to be worth 15 billion pounds. And so manufacturers and retailers obviously can't hide their excitement at the great commercial opportunities that our fear of aging presents. Um, now, for a bit of light relief, I don't know if you like creature comforts, but um, this is a video that was made where people were asked how they uh, see themselves physically. Are they happy with the way they look? And this is what they had to say. Hopefully this is going to work. Oh, no, sorry. How happy are you with the way you look? I'll, uh, okay, from a scale from one to ten, I'd have to say six and a half for me. What do you say for you? I would say I got a, you know, it's close to a ten. Ten? Yeah. I didn't dream anyone thought they looked like a ten, but Sean Connery. Of course, these days, mm -hmm. not so much anymore. I've never put much stock in physical appearance. She doesn't. She doesn't. However, if she did, she'd wear makeup. That's right. That just really gets to me. I would like to lose some more weight, but that's more of a physical. Well, you're changing the subject. We're talking about it being how pretty you'd be if you put her some makeup. How happy are we with the way we look? Oh, I don't know. I, I really don't care. If I cared really about how I looked, I'd put my teeth in and uh, I would shave once in a while. You know, I never wear lipstick. Did you know that? I don't need. You ever see lipstick on me? I don't need the. But I have no makeup. I'm naturally ugly. <laughs> I guess I should have more concern for how I look, and I I, I try to fix myself up somewhat. Uh, there's only so much fixing he can do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Her best physical feature. Yeah. Oh, 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 I just cringe. I just don't know what she's going to say, and it's freaking out. I don't out. even know what I'm going to say. See, yeah, it's my her, mother. This is my listen, mother. Her best physical feature is oh. <laughs> the shape of her body, her long waist and her That's big what you boobs. Mother! You know, she's, she has... Underneath the fat. Yeah, right. I guess I look okay. I'm not overweight. I'm not underweight. I know, I'm all right. I love my nose. I love my profile. It, it gives a lot of character. It looks great. I don't have a Michael Jackson's nose, but it looks great. I wish my thighs didn't touch. That's the only thing, honestly. I don't know if that's, is that what you mean? Physical appearance? Yeah. Just that my thighs wouldn't touch because it causes a lot of problems. If I could, I'd be thinner, more fit, more muscled, you know. I'm not talking Schwarzenegger or anything, but I'd like to be a little more cut, you know. I know that would be great, but no. I, at this point, I don't think I would ever have cosmetic surgery. I'm getting jowls, I mean, my face has gained 50 pounds, not proportionate to the rest of my body. All the fat, not all the fat goes to my face, but I have the double chin and, uh, you want to just keep it at double? You're going to say triple, thank you. You just have to be happy with who you are. 
I, I consider my anatomy to be very Greco-Roman, classically proportioned. I'm very... A normal-sized fig leaf would do it. heart lusts for success, significance, recognition, approval, and security. And as women, we can become obsessed with making ourselves physically beautiful in an attempt to satisfy these sinful cravings. If I just dot, 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 I'll be happy. Yet we know this message is a lie. We know that wearing the right clothes and being physically beautiful does not ensure happiness, fulfillment, and success. Physical beauty does not deliver as advertised. Yet we still get sucked into it, don't we? So intent are we on not wanting to miss out on what the world promises. But as we look in the distorted mirror that the world encourages us to look in, we fail to see ourselves as we truly are. It's a kind of spiritual equivalent of the horrible medical condition called body dysmorphia, believing something about ourselves that is not true in reality. So who can tell us the reality and help us out of this mess? As talented as he is, we realise that Gokwan isn't going to be able to touch the real issue with a wardrobe makeover and a new colour palette of clothes to wear. He can't tell us the truth about who we are on the inside. But thankfully, we have somewhere far better to go than Auntie Gok, and that is to God himself. And if God's claims to be our creator and designer, as Carrie was talking about this morning, if those claims are true then he alone is qualified to tell us the truth about ourselves, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we're going to spend a bit of time looking in the mirror of God's word. Who are we? Well, as human beings, we are all designed by God and precious to him. Genesis 2, verses 26 and 31 say this. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And God saw everything that he had made, and it was very good. As Carrie was saying as well this morning, as humans, we are set apart from the rest of creation by being uniquely made in God's image. Like God, we are relational, moral, spiritual, and creative beings. No insect or animal, however attractive or powerful it may be, has the same privileges. Whatever state our bodies are in, Whatever deterioration happens to our bodies, his image in us can never be taken away. And also from these verses, we note that when God made man and woman, he was thrilled by what he had made. He didn't just say, oh, that'll do, it's not too shabby, as my brother would say. Uh, It was and is good. His creation of human beings, he was extremely pleased with. And I love these verses from Psalm 139, um, and I've put them in the message version of the Bible just because uh, sometimes reading it in that version can uh, make it come to us afresh. Psalm 139 says this, You shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvellously made. I worship in adoration, what a creation. 
You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. So we are each the work of a master craftsman and designer. God determined exactly what we would look like. I wasn't presented with a drop-down menu with an array of options to choose from, for my hair colour, my skin tone, my leg length, etc. He decided our body shape, how tall we would be, the colour of our eyes and each of the unique features that make us who we are. And just look around the room today and notice how amazingly different we all look. I get the treat of doing that from up here. <laughs> you all look amazingly different. So we've each been made as one-offs by the designer of designers. So Victoria Beckham, Karl Lagerfeld, or whoever the Irish designer is of the moment can eat their hearts out. These verses in Psalm 139 tell us that he also created not just our bodies, our external appearance, but our souls as well. And our souls are designed to worship God. Our hearts are made to follow him and to love him. However, we have distorted God's design, and I'm sure Carrie will be expanding this further this afternoon. But as soon as God created us, pleased with his creation, Adam and Eve, as the representatives of the human race, distorted God's brilliant design. They decided that they knew better than our maker, and they rejected his words and truth. And each one of us here has been doing the same ever since. We are still made in his image, but we've distorted his brilliant design. And the New Testament puts it like this. This is one of the ways that we've distorted his design. And I think this is really relevant to this topic. Romans 1, verse 25. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Adam and Eve doubted God's word. They denied his good provision for them and his truth. And they disobeyed his instructions. And we've been doing that naturally ever since. Do these ring any bells to you? These questions that ring round in our minds sometimes. Can God really meet my physical needs as well as my spiritual ones? Does God really know what it's like in my day-to-day -day life, what it's like to live in this society? God's made my life so hard, my body so badly, my looks so deficient, my body shape so awkward. So, I'm going to invest more time in my appearance than in him. I'm going to get my security from how I match up to the world standards. I must keep up. I must prevent the aging process. But God has designed us to look to him, the creator of beauty, rather than to what he's created in physical beauty, colour, clothing. As we look to physical beauty to obtain our security, our worth and our value, then we're actually guilty of worshipping an idol. An idol isn't just something made of bronze and a carved beautiful statue. But it's something that we give value to, something that we worship in God's place, something that we attribute value to that only God deserves, something that gets our time, our money, our energy and our focus and our hearts. So often, created stuff is the things that, is the, are the things that get that rather than God himself.
Now, the created stuff is, of course, good. God's made it for us all to enjoy, but it's not God. And when we worship created things as such, we've exchanged the truth of God for a captivating and enticing lie. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you are the proud recipient of a designer dress sent to you by special delivery from Stella McCartney as a gift. How weird would it be if the first time you wore it, you ripped out her designer label and claimed it was your own handiwork at your own sewing machine? How offensive to Stella McCartney. The dress said in the care instructions, hand wash only. But you decide to tumble dry it at 100 degrees because that was frankly more convenient for you. Now that's a strange example, but we do do that a bit with our designer bodies, which are made by God. Instead of acknowledging him as the designer and following his care instructions, we set ourselves up in his place and decide that we'll ignore what he says and do our own thing. We'll live to the world standards. We'll do our best. We'll make sure we get the recognition that we think we deserve. Now, never mind whether we are wearing the right clothes today or keeping up with the trends for autumn-winter 2012, I wonder if we're content with what we find in the hidden cupboards and wardrobes of our hearts and our secret thoughts. How good would we look truly naked? As part of my job as a stylist, I love doing wardrobe clearouts, unearthing amazing treasures and sometimes some disasters from people's wardrobes or floor drobes, as I often find. Um, and clients tell me that they're dreading me discovering their fashion faux pas. But I wonder how we would feel if we were to do a, clear, a wardrobe clear-out on our hearts and our minds. If all our secret desires, our thoughts and motives tucked at the recesses at the back, all our selfishness, our lies and our discontent, if those things were put on display, I wonder what buried anger, what envy or resentment or comparison games would be found inside the wardrobes of our hearts. And all of us feel uncomfortable at that thought. Jesus said this, Out of man's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, evil malice, sorry, evil, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside. We don't like to acknowledge this ugly truth about ourselves. And we can be very adept at, as women, at trying to cover it up. We put on our caring face. We pretend we think wonderful thoughts about each other. And we give the impression that we are all out for God. Our masks can be amazingly deceptive. But the truth is that one day, these masks will be removed. Ed Welch, an American pastor, says this in one of his books. Putting on our masks is a regular part of our morning ritual, just like brushing our teeth and eating breakfast. Underneath the masks are people who are terrified that there will one day be an unveiling. And indeed, the masks and other, other coverings will one day be removed. There'll be an eternal unveiling. But it is not so much the eyes of other people that we ought to fear. After all, other people are no different from ourselves. But there is a deeper fear, the eyes of God. 
If the gaze of man awakens fear in us, how much more so the gaze of God? If we feel exposed by people, we will feel devastated before God. So this distorted mirror of the world may make us feel uncomfortable about the fact that we're not flawless, flabless, or at the cutting edge of fashion. Gok Wan might make us feel like we've made a few fashion faux pas. But when we look in God's true mirror of ourselves, the reality is actually even more uncomfortable because God is the creator and judge over all the world and we all reject him and his ways. So I hate to break it to you girls on this happy day, but the sad news is that each of us are all incredibly ugly. If not on the outside by the world standards, then we all are inside as we face the mirror of God's perfect holiness. Now you're thinking, hang on a minute, you're telling me I'm ugly, more ugly than I even thought. Thanks for that. But um, before you go rushing out of the door, there is some good news. And I hope that we'll all find it encouraging wherever we are, uh, whatever stage we're at in our relationship with God. I hope you're all staying awake. Can you still hear me at the back? Is it okay? Good. So this is the but. We have Jesus, who is truly beautiful. Now what the Bible actually says is that Jesus had no physical beauty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and rejected. So that's not exactly a front page glossy picture that sells magazines. So why is it that Christians often talk or sing about Jesus being beautiful or the cross he died on being a beautiful thing, that cruelest form of torture, a symbol of execution. It does seem totally weird, unless we understand that God sent his one and only precious son into the world as a demonstration of his beautiful love. God's son, Jesus, his life was beautiful because he did live as God intended for humans to live. He lived according to his care instructions, in 100% devotion to God and love for him, keeping every single one of his father's commands. Yet, Jesus gave this perfect life up, willingly on the cross, for imperfect humans who find it impossible, like me, to show 100% devotion to God, or to keep all, if any, of his commands. And we do deserve to die for our rejection of him, our creator. Yet, as we know, Jesus lovingly took that punishment on himself. His life was the perfect one. He did not deserve to be killed. So the reason that Christians get excited about the cross and can embrace it as a beautiful thing is because on it, on that cross, hung a beautiful saviour whose death was a beautiful death. We don't naturally see death as a beautiful thing. And normal human death isn't beautiful. But Jesus' death was truly beautiful, the death of the one who died for our sins and for our rejection of God. And although that is awful to imagine, it is truly beautiful. Um, Al Mohler, who's an American theologian, um, helpfully explains that God actually defines beauty for us because of who he is. He defines beauty as what is good, what is true, and what is real. Because God alone is beautiful. He personifies goodness, 
truth and reality. And also that is what Jesus' life and death were. They were true and good and real. Uh, So what this theologian is saying is that you cannot separate beauty from truth or goodness. So it totally goes against God's character to call something beautiful which is not good. He alone is the source and judge of true beauty. But the fact is that so often we've come to use the word beautiful really inappropriately. We speak of beauty when what we really mean is prettiness or attractiveness or even likability or something just to my taste. None of these things, however, is actually equal to beauty. We increasingly confuse what is artificial for what's real, the attractive for the beautiful, and what's untrue for the true. And this causes us a problem that we cannot call something beautiful which isn't true. So thinking about airbrushed pictures, um, that sort of thing, those things are not truly beautiful because they're fake. So taste, attractiveness and prettiness are just matters of opinion and not truth. So true beauty, beauty defined by God, beauty in what is true and good and real, is a million miles away from the fake society we live in, of airbrushing, of beauty products that make false claims about halting the ageing process, or unrealistic images of what's possible or healthy for us. But the good news is that everything about Jesus is truly beautiful. And the real encouragement for us is that we can experience some of this beauty. But we can only be truly beautiful clothed in Jesus. So magic knickers or wearing heavier fabrics or darker colours to mask the bits of us we don't like, that might work for our physical appearance. But it's not going to work for our true selves exposed before God. Al Mohler, the theologian who I quoted earlier, also says that the confusion over beauty is not just an interesting cultural or theological issue, but it's a matter of redemption. The only way out of our confusion over beauty is to know our creator personally and to have our relationship with him as our master once again put right, which only he can do. So the only way, girls, for us to be presented before God is through the beautiful cross. Our ugly sin needs to be covered by his son, Jesus' his son, Jesus's beautiful blood, which he shed for us on the cross. And Romans 3 says this, Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wants for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in a right standing with himself, a pure gift, He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. So that is brilliant news for us. And these verses as well say, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with, with her jewels. So God takes the filthy rags of what's wrong with us on the inside. He picks up our black bags of thrown out clothes, and he offers us the perfection of himself, 
God lived out in human flesh on earth for us in Jesus. Jesus who lived God's perfect design for him in an obedient life. So God is the great designer of designers who offers us the most generous and lasting makeover that anyone could hope for. We can be arrayed and adorned with God-given exquisite clothes and jewels. And the fact that he rose from the dead gives those who trust in him a beautiful hope. That means that we can face ageing and death without fear. And that is a great distinctive for us as Christians in the world we live in. God gives us a makeover that none of us deserve. It's not a mere facelift or a little nip and tuck here and there. It's not a few new exciting colours in our wardrobe or a few extra accessories. It's about accepting that we need God's help and putting all our hope in Jesus to put us right with God. That is what makes us a Christian. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. As we walk down the street, there's no obvious outward way of telling who is and isn't a Christian, apart from some maybe dodgy open-toed sandals or (laughs) bad brown clothes or something. But um, there is an inward reality that does make Christians utterly different and eternally beautiful in the truest sense of the word. Perfect Jesus, the beautiful saviour of the world, is living in us and covers over the ugliness of our sinfulness. His spirit living in us at work is at work to make us truly beautiful, like Jesus. So a little bit of work for you um, to make sure you're still awake. Um, A few easy questions, so you can even talk about this with somebody you've never met sitting next to you. Um, When do you find yourself looking in the wrong mirror? And what helps you to look in the right mirror? So just take a moment, and um, I'll call you back to order in a second. Just have a little debrief and talk about anything that struck you so far as well, if you get bored of those conversations. (laughs) (laughs) Do I need to move this down? Should I move... Should I leave it down? Because it's getting feedback, isn't it? Should I... Um,
getting lots of feedback? Are you getting lots of feedback? Like, can you hear the noise? Is it really hard to hear? Sounds, no, we're okay. No, we're fine. It sounds yeah. terrible up there. It sounds like it's really kind of booming out at you, but it's okay. We, we can hear you really well. I think yeah. it's further back. Yeah. really bad back here. No, 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 fine. Okay, well that's good. I think some people over that side are having a bit of problem. Yeah, you can hear it all. Okay, I know what you ladies are like. You could go on forever chatting. So just to call you back to order. What's the trick? Order. <laughs> um, I would love to be uh, listening in to some of your conversations. I bet there are some absolute gems of wisdom uh, coming out as you talk to each other and uh, there'll be more chance to uh, discuss these things obviously uh, through the day and to take some messages home to think uh, through as you go back to your normal life. But I do want us to spend some time together um, thinking about how we live in the light of these great theological truths that we've been thinking about. How do these truths actually affect our attitude to image and how we dress? What does it mean day to day for us to live these things out? We've obviously got to get dressed because, frankly, it would be totally inappropriate to be walking around naked. But how do we think about getting dressed for God's glory? So I'm just going to rush through some practical things. And um, you know, I just want to say as well, there probably won't be much time for questions today. But if you do want to come and grab me um, at the end, I'll be around over lunch and uh, at the end here and then around for the rest of the afternoon. So do come and find me. The first thing is that we need to learn to cultivate our relationship with Jesus more than our outward appearance. And I realized as I said that, I said we need to learn like it's a kind of heavy duty. But actually, this is a great, great uh, thing that God calls us to do. And it's a joy that we have the privilege of doing this. 1 Peter 3, uh, verses 3 to 4, again from the message, say, What matters is not your outer appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, But your inner disposition, cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, gracious, kind spirit, I think that's meant to say, (laughs) that God delights in. When someone physically attractive walks by, we notice. But that is the end of it, isn't it? It makes a brief and momentary impression on us. But perhaps we can all think about special people, special Christians in our lives who've shown you God's kindness who've shown you sacrifice or love or patience. Those people are people you will never forget. Physical beauty may turn some heads for a moment, but inner godly beauty leaves an indelible mark on the lives of those around. I'm sure many of us can think of godly people who are radiant because of their love for Jesus. I have an amazing friend called Dawn who is riddled with cancer at the moment. But she is amazingly trusting in Jesus. 
And that is a pure and precious and lasting thing that cannot be wrecked by chemotherapy or death. Perhaps we can think of elderly relatives who radiate Jesus' beauty through the wrinkles of life's experience. And the Bible promises that as we give our attention to Jesus and to his beauty, we will only grow more beautiful, more truly beautiful. His spirit is at work in us to make us truly beautiful like Jesus. Murray McChain, who was a Scottish minister in the 19th century, had a friend who tended to get anxious and worry about lots of things. And Murray McChain wrote a letter to help him, which included this lovely sentence. For every look you take at yourself, take ten at Christ. He is altogether lovely. It's a bit old-fashioned, this next bit, but so true. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his sunbeams. Feel his all-seeing eye, settled on you in love, and repose in his mighty arms. That's a great quote, isn't it? But we are to feast on Jesus, and as we compare him to our idols of celebrities, thinness, youthfulness, style, we'll honestly find those idols to be empty in comparison. As we focus on the Lord's beauty, and particularly on Jesus, you will be made beautiful. I just wanted to note that these verses in 1 Peter 3, they don't say don't think about your appearance or spend any time on it at all. Uh, Other parts of the Bible tell us that we are to take care of the bodies that God has given us. And getting dressed each day is something that we all have to do, unless we choose to live in a nudist colony. (laughs) Um, And the Bible tells us as well that God provided clothes to Adam and Eve after the fall in the form of leaves as an act of kindness and grace to maintain our dignity. So let's do that. Let's look after our bodies But let's not spend more energy, time, or money on it than our relationship with Jesus and his his purposes. And in practice, perhaps when we're shopping for clothes, when we're uh, out on the streets, when we're going out to an event, we need to include Jesus more in those times when we look in the mirror, um, finding a way of having a verse perhaps on our mirrors, praying to him as we're going shopping that he would help us find something that would be suitable, that we're not going to spend hours obsessing about and traipsing around to find something um, that's going to do the right job. I've often found that works for me. (laughs) Praying when you're shopping saves a lot of time and money. Um, So our culture encourages us to cultivate a beauty that is just fleeting. God encourages us to cultivate a beauty that will never, ever fade. Our culture seeks to entice us to cultivate a beauty that will impress other people. But God summons us to cultivate a beauty that is for his eyes only, a beauty that is of great worth in his sight. If that's what we want, we need to ask God's help daily to invest in that true beauty, because sadly the world and its pervasive lies will not help us. Um, Now I want to recommend a book to you. I've got a few books here, but this book is... Mirror, mirror, or mirror, mirror, I can't say it. <laughs> um, I don't know how many of you have read this book. Has anybody seen this book before? Oh, a few hands. Um, it's a fantastic book. Uh, the subtitle is Discover Your True Identity in Christ, and I would recommend this as follow-up reading from um, today's session. 
But uh, in this brilliant book, Graham Bynan encourages us to see that being made in God's image gives every human a humble dignity. That's the phrase he uses again and again, a humble dignity. And I think that's a brilliant catchphrase for us to really grasp. We should be humble because we're only an image of God. We're his representatives. We're not the real thing. We're derived from him. We're dependent on him. And we need to know our place of utter helplessness without him. So that keeps us humble. But we do also have a great dignity because the image of God is unique to us as human beings. Each human life, every single human life, is incredibly valuable and precious to God and displays some of his character and beauty to the world. I love this quote, um, which comes from J.I. Packer. The gospel takes us lower into self-abhorrence and despair than inferiority feelings ever do. And that was the sad news we had as we looked into how ugly we really are before God. But the gospel raises us to an awestruck joy that those with a good self-image, in worldly terms, left to themselves, would never know. And that's our privilege here today for those who believe in the gospel that we can enjoy this awestruck joy. The gospel takes us lower into self-abhorrence and despair than inferiority feelings ever do and raises us to an awestruck joy that those with a good self-image left to themselves would never know. And now another book for you. And this is very new, hot off the press book, uh, called Compared to Her. Um, humans have no hierarchy before God when it comes to our value and worth. As women, we're very adept, aren't we, at looking around us and finding our value from uh, what we perceive to be going on with other people around us. But there is no room for feeling intimidated by those around us or feeling proud as we look down on others, giving people the scan as we walk into a room, working out where we come in the pecking order of things. We're not to value or undervalue people because of what they look like. And we mustn't let ourselves be validated by the world's feedback. So I would recommend this book to read about the, um, what Sophie DeWitt calls the compulsive comparison syndrome that we as women are riddled with. And she looks at it from a fantastic gospel perspective. It's a very easy read. So do pick that up from the bookstore. Um, I'm going to rush through these points. Um, We want to enjoy our individuality. So although God's gospel is free for us all, we are all individuals before him. And we need to acknowledge his providence and to be grateful for the body and appearance that he's given to each one of us. God determined our unique characteristics. And we can either spend our lives complaining about his design or we can be thankful, knowing that he does know best and he knows what he's doing. I love the story of the missionary Gladys Aylward. She was known as the small woman of China. And she told how when she was a child, she had two great sorrows. One was that while all her friends had beautiful golden hair, hers was black. And the other was that while her friends were still growing, she stopped. And she grew to be about four foot, ten inches tall. But when at last she reached the country to which God had called her to be a missionary, 
She stood on the wharf in Shanghai and looked around at the people to whom God had called her to serve. Every single one of them, she said, had black hair. And every single one of them had stopped growing when I did. And I said, Lord God, you do know what you are doing, and you do all things well. You do know what you are doing, and you do all things well. I wonder if we're able to say the same about our own appearance. David, in Psalm 139, says, I praise you, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I wonder when the last time was that you worshipped God for the way he created your body. You don't have to answer that in public, but anything that is less than a heart filled with gratitude and praise to him for our physical appearance must grieve him. Instead, we should be encouraged that we are beautifully made by the designer of designers. So Alexander McQueen, Victoria Beckham and Stella McCartney can all eat their hearts out. And I hope you find that liberating. We don't want to deny God's creation of physical beauty. He is the creator of everything. And there is something intrinsic in all of us that is drawn to physical beauty. There's an aesthetic appetite and appreciation in all of us. God designed physical beauty. As uh, the musicians were talking about that beautiful sunrise this morning. He loves that. He's the creator of it. Colours, textures, patterns, symmetry, shapes, order. He's given us all those things to enjoy. But sometimes in our attempts to be holy and as Christians, we can end up denying God's creativity in ourselves and in those around us. Perhaps we think it's more holy to be drab, to wear no colour, to not make the best of what he's given you, to cover your body in a sack. Um, but, or also to be proud because you perhaps don't worry about your appearance as much as others. But the Bible encourages us to enjoy the good things of his world, artistic expression, music, colour. And 1 Timothy encourages us to be thankful for those things and not to be guilty of rejecting them. As a Christian stylist, I do appreciate knowing that God created us all with unique body shapes and features, and that he loves shapes, textures, and color because he designed it. But much as I love my job and enjoy making people's wardrobes work better for their day-to-day lives, having God's good news about changing us on the inside, about having a secure, eternal relationship with Jesus, that is so much more important and is something that I long for all my clients as well as for everyone here today. The next Uh, practical thing is that we're not to fear aging. As I said, this can be a huge witness to the world around us. Our human bodies are designed to age. The Bible commends old age. In Job, uh, the Bible talks about aging, bringing wisdom. In Proverbs, grey hair is a crown of splendour attained by a righteous life. Now that's a good good verse to put on your mirror. Grey hair is a crown of splendour attained by a righteous life. And our beauty in Christ will never fade. In fact, investing in Christ will only make us more beautiful in the truest sense. And the other great thing about aging is that it brings us closer to heaven. And we're reminded that our bodies, our human bodies, are only temporary. And this is what 2 Corinthians 5 says about our human bodies. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down... We will have a house in heaven, 
an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of those bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So one day we will all have perfect bodies and be utterly content. I'm looking forward to that day. Um, Another thing that is helpful to think about is who it is that we're dressing for. Um, Obviously there's the whole modesty issue. Are we attempting to allure somebody who we shouldn't be? Somebody who's not our husband? Somebody who isn't yet our husband? Are we dressing to show off or to compete in the looks game? To make someone else feel bad because of our new purchases that we know they can't afford? Or by deliberately making no effort as you think it's sinful to look attractive? So we need to dress modestly. We need to not cause our brother or sister to stumble. And as we ask who it is or what it is that we're dressing for, it's a great challenge to us, isn't it? How do we display our contentedness in who God has made us without being proud. We need to cultivate a humble dignity before God and as we do that, the competitiveness between us will disappear. Just finally, before we finish, this is something that we can perhaps think about um, ourselves. I'm just going to leave these questions up for a moment. There's actually two slides. There'll be another one in a moment. But it's a little heart check for us Um, because the way we think about our external appearance can be a mirror into our hearts. What is more important to us, inner or outer beauty, self-glory or God's glory? And you can actually find this online. I think it's on the Girl Talk website. Do I spend more time daily caring for my personal appearance than I do in Bible study, prayer and worshipping God? Do I spend excessive money on clothes, hair and makeup? Or is it an amount that is God-honouring? Do I want to lose weight to feel better about myself? Or do I desire to be self-disciplined for the glory of God? Am I on a quest for thinness to impress others? Or do I seek to cultivate eating habits that honour God? Do I exercise to try to create or maintain a good figure? Or do I exercise to strengthen my body for God's service? Is there anything about my appearance that I wish I could change? Or am I completely grateful to God for the way he created me? Am I jealous of the appearance of others? Or am I truly glad when I observe other women who are more physically attractive than me? Do I covet the wardrobe of others? Or do I genuinely rejoice when other women are able to afford and purchase new clothes? Do I ever dress immodestly or with the intent of drawing attention to myself? Or do I always dress in a manner that pleases God? When I attend an event, 
Do I sinfully compare myself with others? Or do I go asking God to show me who to love and how to do it? We've covered a lot of ground together in this time before lunch. Um, But what I thought would be helpful to do is perhaps with the person who's sitting next to you or just on your own, to think about what one thing from today, I'm sure some of you have taken some notes, but um, just to help focus our minds before we get obsessed with trying to find lunch. Um, I could keep you in here for the whole of lunchtime. That would save any of you feeling you're going to put on weight. (laughs) But um, what one thing from today will help me have a healthier perspective when I look in the mirror tonight or tomorrow. So let's take a moment to do that, and then I'll close with a prayer. check in an empty church and it sounds fine but when you've got three four hundred people you have to turn it up because the sounds are good and it's just too much for it probably anyway i'll just hand it over to you is that right should i close it now okay ladies let's Hold our conversations there and we can carry them on over lunchtime. I'm just going to close with a prayer to our great creator God. Dearest Father in heaven, our creator and our designer, we thank you so much that we are made in your image. As women, we live in a world that is full of messages, full of deceitfulness about who we are. And we long that we would hold on to your truth that we would treasure your truths, that your truths would be the thing that shapes us and that others see in us. Thank you so much for who you've made each one of us. We pray that as we leave today, 
we would leave contented in who we are before you. You shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you are breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvellously made. I worship in adoration, what a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life, all prepared before I'd even lived one day. We thank you, our amazing God, our creator and our designer. Amen.